Hello and welcome to this week's Football Digest Extra Time. I'm Ned Keating, video journalist at The Mirror and I'm joined today by my Mirror colleague David Anderson to digest all the action from the Premier League clash between Leeds and Man United. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's men failed to close in on leaders Man City with a goalless draw at Ellen Road on Sunday after being shut out by Marcello Bielsa's side. The point, meanwhile, keep the Whites in the top half to continue their fine return to the Premier League. Uh, David, not the most goal-infested uh, match that we're ever going to see. Obviously, finished nil-nil at the weekend, but, but still an entertaining fixture between two, uh, an, an entertaining historic fixture between two sides. Yeah, no, definitely. You're right, Ned. It, it wasn't really the game we expected. It was 6-2 at Old Trafford back in December, and we sort of thought, well, okay, this could be, you know, we're going to see goals. It could be entertaining attacking game, really, between two two sides you like to, you know, to get forward. And, and I think, the way that the game panned out was maybe sort of a, a, a credit to Leeds, really, because, you know, really, if they'd gone sort of full throttle at United and, you know, a, a attacked at will, then maybe they would have left gaps for United to exploit. But I think the fact that they they were more composed in what they did, like Calvin Phillips was was, was man-marked on there, Bruno Fernandes, because Bielsa correctly realised that, you know, he's the main man. they got to nullify him to have any chance of getting the results. And I think uh, the defence, Leeds defence was really solid. If you think sort of Dan James... Uh, Greenwood, they, 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 they did very well in him. In fact, it was sort of uh, Luke Shaw and sort of Juan Basaka, United's best sort of attacking outlets, you know, from the flanks, really. So I think, um, you know, credit to, uh, to to Leeds for what they did and almost a, a victory for sort of a real politico for sort of, you know, romantic attack in open football, really, you know, to get another point and then maintain their uh, unbeaten run there. That's six games unbeaten in the Premier League, their best run. Not just this season, but in the top flight since uh, in twenty years since two thousand and one, really against some top top teams. Really, that's now draws against Chelsea, Liverpool, United, and of course that uh, win over Manchester City as well. Indeed, um, yeah, Leeds have been uh, a great addition to the Premier League this year. Great to see him back, um, and of course their manager as well, Marcelo Bielsa, has won so much praise, rightly so as well, for the job that he's done. Um, it, he's done so far this season. And as you touched on there, um, you know, a brilliant unbeaten run for them, longest in twenty years. And, and that draw at the weekend, it's, it's a sign of the good work that Bielsa is doing and, and something that Leeds can really build on going for, forward now. Yeah, definitely. Because obviously when you've been out of the Premier League as long as they have, 16 years, you come back and your first goal is, you know, well, not just sort of survive really, but certainly get yourself established in the Premier League. And they've done that successfully. There was never a sniff of being in any sort of relegation trouble. It was a little bit bumpy at times. It sometimes be a case of sort of two wins, two defeats and stuff like that there conceded a lot of goals earlier on, but they've sort of tightened up and now they're sitting there in ninth and uh, looking above Everton thinking, oh, can we maybe close the uh, five-point gap on them and uh, maybe even finish even higher, really? And uh, again, it, it will be whatever happens is going to be their best, highest finish, uh, you know, in the league since 2002. So again, yet another sign of, you know, the progress they've made. And of course, it's a great platform to, to push on and push for Europe, which is what their goal is. And of course, the long-term goal is trying to get into the Champions League. And this is how you do it, really, you know, step-by-step, step, building as you go along, putting down solid formations for which to build on again in the, in the next season. They've successfully done that. And, and they've done it as well without fans being in stadiums this year. I mean, we saw it in the last few years in the Championship, how much the support was getting behind Leeds, how much of a hostile environment Ellen Road was becoming again for sides to go to. So it's only become, going to become a more difficult place to go next year when hopefully you know fans are allowed back in, in their full capacities. Yeah, definitely. Now, if you take, you know, yesterday's game was a classic example, really, of a game that desperately needed the fans in because you imagine that game, you know what I mean, if you had a, a packed Ellen Road, you know, with the away contingent, the Leeds fans going at them as well. And like, how would the fans, not, how would the players not have been lifted by that and, you know, sort of tried even harder? And I think there would have been goals if you would have had the, 
the fans are urging them on really to create that wonderful atmosphere. And you know, I think sort of a lot of Premier League teams who maybe haven't played Leeds for a while there, they've sort of had a bit of a free hit really coming this season with them, Ellen Road being empty. And certainly when it comes to next season and they rock up and it's just a full Ellen Road, they'll be thinking of themselves, goodness me, I didn't know it was quite as noisy as this. And I think you're right, that will be again an asset for, uh, for Leeds really because I think what's great is that sometimes at Ellen Road that the fans could be could turn a little bit, you know, if, if things weren't going their way, they would maybe get frustrated. You could maybe sense that anxiety sometimes if you can transmit it to the players. But of course, there's nothing but feel good factor around uh, Leeds and Ellen Road at the minute, and that'll go on to next season. So when the fans do rock up, they're going to be positive, they're going to get behind the team, they're going to support them. And I think they will be able to make it difficult for, uh, for all opposition sides to come. Of course. Um, in terms of Man United, though, um, not the result that they were looking for obviously could have put pressure on Manchester City at the top you know still tried to this idea that there is still a, a title race possibly still to be played out I'm not entirely sure myself um, but had they won would have closed the gap with City not playing this weekend yeah. um, but they just it was just a strange one from them wasn't it because they never you know even though there was no fans in there and you would expect that had there been it would have been acceptable to start as sluggishly as they did it was almost surprising to see them that way given that there wasn't really that much of a hostile atmosphere at the great, you know, it was, it was, they seemed to kind of struggle to play their way into it, didn't they? Yeah, they did, definitely did. Like Solskjaer, as this is what was always trying to put a positive gloss on it afterwards, saying, well, look, you know, we've extended the uh, unbeaten away run in the Premier League. That's now 24 games unbeaten in the Premier League, which to be fair, it is an achievement. And before that's the sort of thing that you can use as a platform for a title bid. But, but you're right, Ned, really, you know, the, in contrast to the game, say, on Monday between Liverpool and Leeds, which there was more, there were more chances for both teams. Like This this one, yes, it was quite disappointing. And you're right, United's performance, you're right, I felt it was very flat. Uh, it's almost a case of, um, you know, once Phillips took sort of Fernandes out of the game, it's almost because, well, what we're going to do now, our playmaker's been nullified. And you're right, there just wasn't enough. And it could, like, we asked ourselves, could you brought Pogba on sooner? And there's obviously the issue with him fasting for Ramadan. Perhaps he needs, needs to be conserved him. He's got the Roma game on Thursday night. But I think you're right. I, I, it was disappointing uh, for, for you know, and even Luke Shaw was saying that afterwards, you know, this is the sort of game you know, should be trying to win. And again, it's all this big question about Manchester United. And, you know, where, where are they? Because obviously Solskjaer likes to, you know, promote the narrative that is positive, that we're nearly there, that it's almost like we're just one step away from, from winning a trophy, which obviously could be the catalyst for further success. But it's almost like you just feel as if they're always just one big game away from sort of doing something and then they lose it and then it's another six months and then there's another big game, right? We're going to win this one, this will set us off and then they lose that. And if you think back, how many finals have they won or lost in succession now really, or semi-finals, sorry. It's just, I don't know, you just wonder... Is it going to click under Solskjaer? Because sometimes you look at them, you're right, you think, well, yeah, they look like a team. They've got, you know, square pegs and square holes and de de defensively quite sound and very good away from home and get more formidable at Old Trafford and, you know, do well in the Europa League. But I don't know. I, I just, for me, to be convinced that um, I can see Solskjaer being the sort of manager who can win them maybe a League Cup, an FA Cup, or Europa League, even as they can do this season. But if you're saying to me, is Solskjaer the guy who's going to deliver them a Premier League? Or a Champions League. I honestly, I'm not sure. I'm not convinced. Um, you touched there earlier in, in that answer about um, the team selection that Man United went with, and uh, this kind of idea of being brave. And thankfully, Paul Hunt sent in a comment that's kind of similarly along those lines, um, suggesting that Ollie wasn't brave enough to bring in uh, bring Cavani on, and only just about brave enough uh, to give Pogba a run. 
Um, in terms of in terms of that team selection, you kind of went on it there. It really was with almost one eye on on Thursday night, and that's where, despite the fact that Social does, as you said, they try to put a positive spin, tries to suggest that there there was still maybe a title race on at least before Sunday's game. Um, we know where his priorities lie now, and it is as you said, they're getting getting that first trophy uh, and trying to to take United onto that next level. Which, as you said, you know, semi-finals have been a, a real real big difficulty for them under Social so far. No, de- definitely. He he knows, you know, he needs to, to to win this Europa League because if you sort of think back, if, if they don't win a trophy this season, then, then that's what, four years since the uh, Europa League success under Jose in 2017. So four years for Manchester United without a trophy. You have to go back to the, the, the first years of, of Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, after they won the FA Cup in 1985 until they won it again in 1990. For the last time, United endured such a trophy drought. And of course, <laughs> it's quite telling, you know, uh, after the week we had last week with the whole European Super League and all these supposed of big clubs thinking, you know, we're this, we're that. And you think, well, hold on a minute. You haven't even won a trophy in four years, you know. Uh, that That's not good, especially when that lot across the city, the blue half of uh, Manchester, literally winning them by the by the lorry load, really. So I think it, the pressure's really on, so Oscar, he really needs to, to win this Europa League. And then you can sort of say, well, then this will be the start. Now, next season, we're going to go and challenge for the league because... Otherwise, it's like, well, where's the where's the real evidence that they are genuinely making progress? Where's that? Where's that evidence? Where's that proof? You know, and of course, the best proof is silverware in the cabinet. And they say, unless he gets that Europa League, then again, the jury remains out. Is he the man for Manchester United? Uh, in terms of the, the, the man for Leeds United, uh, it is Marcello Bielsa, and we have got another comment here from uh, RT Tommy Thompson, uh, who suggests that. Uh, looking ahead to next year, a couple of additions for Leeds at least, um, Bielsa's days and, and they will be some team. And I think that's that's the the, yeah. the big crux, isn't it? Um, you know, what we spoke about earlier about Leeds potentially kicking on next year, it does possibly rely on Bielsa sticking around for another season. There was talk about potentially maybe uh, Spurs, and I think it was Jamie O'Hara, wasn't it, last week, linking, uh, linking Bielsa with potentially the Spurs vacancy. I don't see that myself as a Tottenham fan, I'll be honest. Um, and not because he's, he's doing a bad job, you know, because he's such a fit at, at Leeds and, and he's yeah. doing a, a brilliant job there. Um, and that's it really, isn't it? it? It is key and it is crucial for him to, to stay at Leeds if they are to uh, yeah. to try and kick on next year. Like it was interesting over the weekend uh, Andrea Radbrazani was talking about Bielsa and says, yes, we are in talks, we do hope he'll stay for next season. But, but made the point that, look, our long-term aim is Champions League football and we believe we can do that with or without Bielsa. So I think Leeds are being clever in that they are. They have built a structure which suits Bielsa very well. Bielsa is very comfortable with the director of football, Victor Orta. Uh, they will discuss who they want. Orta identifies him, and then if Bielsa is happy, he goes and signs him. And Bielsa is very happy for the club to do all the sort of the transfer stuff, transfer or contract negotiations. So he purely coaches because, as you know, it's a sort of a for some other British managers, it's a real bone of contention. They feel they want to be over everything, but he's very happy in that role. And I think he's very settled at Leeds. Leeds is perfect the way, you know, the way the whole club's set up for him. He loves the passion of the fans. The fans love him. And you're right, if he was to go to Tottenham, well, you're starting from square one, really, aren't you? You're going to have to sort of remold the club along the sort of image he wants. That's going to take a size of club size. That's going to take two or three years before you'd even start seeing the results. Whereas Leeds was excellent, you could see straight away the, the impact of it. And you're right, I think I think he'll do at least another season. I can only be 66 in June. But uh, he, he seems happy enough. He's a man who just lives for football. Like he could easily have retired years ago. He's made more than enough money to retire from football, but he's obviously still motivated by 
the project. I know that's a word that the, a lot of fans don't like, but I think he sees there's more work to be done at least. And I think you're going to get at least another year. I don't think he'll ever go to another English club. I think it'll be Leeds and then he'll go back. I know back at Newell's old boys always talk about, oh, he owes us a debt before he uh, retires to come back for one last season. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. I don't know. But I think certainly in terms of Premier League, it'll be Leeds uh, at least another year, maybe two, and then you can just sort of see him going. And then by that stage, Leeds would like to think they'll have a structure in place in terms of players and size of a squad and, and Victor Orton there, Radrazani sort of running the, and the income coming in, that they feel whoever they slot in as coach can sort of maybe almost build on what Bielsa did, play similar type football, obviously not the same because he's, he's unique in that sense, but similar type football and again, continue the progression up the table. Um, in terms of Victor Orton's intry as well for the summer, uh, once he sorts out Bielsa's future, uh, in terms of players at least, where, where do Leeds need to look at in the summer to, to improve to go on to that uh, next level? Well, funny enough, one problem which has resolved itself, which we sort of were criticised it for back in, this, well, even just two months ago, was the defence then. We're always, like, they had one point that the second worst defence in the Premier League behind West Brom. The goals were flying in two, three a game, which obviously is part of a consequence when you play attacking football. But really, if you look at it since the end of February against Southampton, when Diego Llorente came back after all the injuries he had, We've only conceded six in the, or seven in the last nine games with him and the team. And you can see even on yesterday, it was a real defensive solidity about him. United didn't really open him up. And the red has been excellent. Uh, Pascal Strooks really come on this last uh, few weeks as well. Of course, you've got Liam Cooper suspended. Robin Cox sitting on the bench. Uh, good options at the fullbacks with obviously Aileen, uh, very good steady Eddie and Alioski, who did very well yesterday at left back. So... I think the defence is sorted, goalkeeper sorted. They do want a left back because the expectation is that Alioski is on a is on a out of contract and somewhere will leave. We'll leave it at Bosman. Galatasaray want him. Uh, Leeds have made an offer, but it looks like he's um, not happy that he perhaps feels that can maybe do do better elsewhere. So they do want a specialised left back. I think the plan is maybe to release Stuart Dallas. Like Dallas has been playing a lot in the field race, and I think. He has a loves his energy in the middle of the park. The fact that that guy can just go all day and you know cover every blade of grass and do everything for you. So he would like to have him there. Uh, I think the number 10 role, that was something that was sort of left over from the last transfer window back in the summer, the last major window, where they'd obviously wanted people like Michael Cuisance. Uh, they thought they had the deal for him, you know, to sign Malone, then it fell through and he went to Marseille. And I think they do like that idea of, you know, with Pablo Hernandez being 36 now, that we need maybe somebody else in there. Rodrigo's had a go this season, Clicks had a go. Tyler Roberts is playing there at the minute. Roberts has played really well, actually. You know, I've been quite impressed with this performance. I know it sounds stupid. He's done everything apart from score goals. And it's, it's hard to be in that attacking role when you have 22 Premier League appearances and no goals. Like Pascal Struve's got scored more than Emily from centre half. So. I would say maybe perhaps more goals from that position. Uh, Bamford has done brilliantly well, but you know you don't want to just be relying on him to bang you another 14-plus Premier League goals next season. The other goals from like Harris and Dallas, uh, Rafinha, which is good. I think Rafinha will continue to develop and do more. So I'd say to sum it up, the one left back, and I'd say possibly say number 10, just to sort of, with, with some goals from the number 10 position, just to sort of take some of that... Um, you know, pressure of, uh, you know, Bamford to score all the time. And also just that creativity, really. You know, if Harrison, like, say, yesterday, for example, the, the leads were quite quiet on the flanks. You know, Costa and Harrison didn't really do that much as what they, what they would usually do in a game, really. So, say, if you had sort of in that number 10 role, someone being a bit, a wee bit more creative just to maybe slip a little ball through for Bamford to score, I think that would uh, 
that would go well. But so generally speaking, you got to say it. You know, he looked really solid the way that Phillips anchors that midfield again. The job he did in Fernandez, you know. So I say it's almost the um, that sort of front end of the pitch, really. Because one thing about uh, about Leeds, they do create chances, but again, it's just being clinical, really. So I say rather all being on Bamford if he's having an off, there's just somebody else who can come in and do that. And so we touched on where Leeds need to improve next year to, to go into that next level. What about Man United? Where where do you think they need to, to find those additions next yeah. year to really push Man City? Yeah, that, that, that's, that's a very good question because you sort of, you look at them sometimes, you think, yeah, these guys are okay. And then you come away like yesterday and you sort of think about that front three, uh, Dan, Dan James and Rashford. And I, I think it's just consistency now with these guys because you don't really look maybe at, and also Liverpool have had a bad season, but generally when you look at sort of uh, Firmino and Salah and uh, Mane, you're not sort of scratching anything, well, are these guys good enough? Same when you look at sort of City with, with that, you know, uh, Sterling, uh, Jesus, Stroke Aguero, De Bruyne, you know that these guys will always deliver for you. I think just sometimes United, it's just that sort of consistency where on the day they can be irrepressible and look really well, but there's other times like yes, when you look at that attack and you just think, it's a bit too easily blunted really, I'd like a little bit more and then, you go in the middle of the park and a lot of it just seems to be on Bruno Fernandes' shoulders. You think it can't be like that because Fred and McTominay, yes, yes, the, the whole centre, the whole, the whole the midfield, they screen the defence, that's very good, but do we need a wee bit more diners in it? Then you come back to the whole Pog, Pogba question, would he do that? Possibly, the one thing about for me for about Pogba, here we are talking here, was it 2021 he's been there, is it, is it five years at Manchester United? And really, when he came, he was like the world's most expensive footballer. He was coming as one of the world's best midfielders. Is he one of the world's best midfielders? Is he even one of the Premier League's best midfielders? I don't know. It's just, I think there's some United players who just really need to start delivering on their reputations on a consistent basis. Not every other game or every third game, but I mean every game. Uh, and then he's got obviously got an issue at goalkeeper, really, where he's sort of, there's a transition now with De Gea going out and Dean Anderson coming in and, that remains to be seen how that one plays out. Will Dean Henderson mature into the sort of, let's be honest, if you're playing for money, you've got to be world-class goalkeeper that you sort of need, really, with that rare ability where you could have maybe nothing to do for an entire match and you pull off a world-class save, you know, just to the, end of the last minute or something and another team get a set piece. Um, defensively, they think they're okay. You know, uh, Luke Shaw's were rejuvenated, Wampasaka, yep. Uh, Harry Maguire does what Harry Maguire does. He's the leader. Uh, and Lindelof as well. So I, I think maybe it just comes back to that that attack. Where just these guys have got to live. Like I know they've got things like Cavani, the big question is, should we use Cavani more? But I think he was only ever really a sort of a, a little booster, a sort of pinch hitter off the bench really if you need it. So he's not in the long-term solution. Harry Kane, do you go get Harry Kane? Erling Haaland, that would be great. Obviously the money's just obscene, but it might be something like that. I just, sometimes I look at the attack, they just, they're good players. And I say that, you know, internationals, etc. Cetera, et cetera, but are they world-class players? Do, which, would, would Real Madrid want any of them? You know, I'm not sure, really. I think maybe that's one thing, whether it's a Kane or an Erling Haaland or something like that there, just to just take it to that next level. Of course, it's sure to be a busy summer for, for both teams and a busy end to the season as well for both of them too. Um, David, thanks for, for joining us today. Uh, be sure to look out for our main show on Thursday featuring John Cross, Andy Dunn, Jeremy Cross and Matt Dunn will be around to digest uh, football's biggest talking points. All that leaves me to say is thanks for listening and take care.